A quick word from our sponsor. Are you having trouble getting your design system to work for everyone in your business? Well, with Zero Height, you can have a central place where designers, engineers, product, brand, content folks, they can all come together and they can talk the same language to make your design system as successful as it can be. From documentation to token management to governance features, Zero Height is the most robust design system tool on the market today. And you can try it out for free at zeroheight.com. Now back to the show. Hello, everyone. On today's show, we're going to be talking about whether AI and design systems can play nicely together or whether this is all just hype. I am Luke Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Chin. We're both design advocates at Zero Height, the design system management platform, and this is Design Systems WTF. Oh, AI. Uh, what a What a contentious topic. Um, I'm curious, actually, well, you said you mentioned before we started recording, probably that um, you're you're maybe not as hyped uh, about AI as me. So I just want to hear your thoughts on it, because I don't think I've actually I've just talked at you about AI, Michelle. Uh, so I want to hear your thoughts on. Yeah, yeah, I well, I mean, I think this gets into like more design systems existentially, but I mean, I love AI and I love, I love the potential that it has outside of design systems. Like, I I also am very aware of like the ethical, like I'm cautious, like optimistically cautious, because like you know, I I want to make sure that things are like ethical and. Oh and yeah, kosher. it's currently yeah. a shit show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%, yeah. Um, which I saw some stuff that's like wild and crazy. But then when it comes to AI and design systems, I'm like, how much of that do we really? need and maybe i just don't i haven't been exposed to it enough or there's not enough fed into the the machine right for it to to do really well with design systems um and maybe that's kind of the role that design system people can play is like you know feeding it content to then do the thing but i yeah i but that that gets into the whole design system ex- existential existence i guess i don't even know where to where to begin with that or where to unpack that but if you have any questions (laughs) if you can if you can summarize that in just you know like 30 seconds that'd be great your existential crisis when it comes to design systems yeah okay so i think like for me as a designer i'm like how many times do we as designers need to design a button like it's got a label it's got maybe it has a border maybe it has you know like colors like we don't need to do too much right like we can just Mm -hmm. go with one one button and then use like design tokens to theme it however we need to. So we don't need IA to do that. Like we don't, it's, it's simple. It's straightforward. We just use the technology. We use the brains that we have, or even just one brain because one person can do it and we can just copy that person and theme it. Um, So we don't need AI for that. Right. So, so this is, I mean, cause you've been talking about this a lot with, so Michelle has done a talk at a couple conferences now called decolonizing design. And one of the big parts of it is calling for building a global design system, which is, uh, I know Brad Frost has also been talking about this as well. And it does make sense because when we're talking about design systems, like I'm going to say something, a hot take here, 90% of design systems look exactly the same. Like there's not, <laughs> it's not like, there's not much difference between design systems that a theme layer would probably not cover off or at least start like as a base for how we kick off design systems. So I do think that that's like 
a good thing. But until we have that, anything that you we want to create that is standardized and able to be used across the world is a task. There's a reason that W3C goes from like initial concept to first drafts within what five years, and then <laughs> accepted draft probably add in another three or four years. Um, until we have that, that concept alone actually makes me think that AI is a really great tool for creating it because the fact that design systems are all very similar and we're all building, we're all singing from very similar hymn sheets um, to use a, a crappy analogy. Yeah, I didn't go to church. <laughs> yeah, neither did I. That's fine. But we, we're, all, we're all basing these off of very similar ideas. That means that if we're like querying like large language models to give us, especially things like documentation or variations or sort of small tasks within that design system sort of like creation process, I don't see it as much of a problem and it's probably going to be pretty accurate, right? Yeah. Ish. Yeah. I, I yeah. think so. I mean, even even writing uh prompts for or like having Chat GPT write your design system documentation, like it does an okay-ish job. It gets you like probably like eighty five yeah. percent of the way there. Um, but you know, you obviously you obviously have to like monitor it to make sure it's, you know, accurate to your design system. And I'm just going to share down there that, that Michelle, and we'll share this in the show notes as well, but uh, Michelle actually wrote a good article about writing chat GPT prompts for design systems, which is quite, quite handy. Um, yeah, you can just, and um, actually we've got some more stuff coming up as well, because we've been tinkering with it. A little yeah, bit you can. So there's a couple articles. I, I kind of talked through like how you can use chat GPT, but there's also an article that actually has the prompts that you can just copy that I wrote that you can use for your design system. Um, to make it really yeah. easy. I think the big thing is like, you still do have to monitor it because some of it is gonna, it's gonna make up stuff that doesn't apply to your design system. It might also include yeah. extra, extra stuff that you've already decided as part of your component. So maybe they'll say like about a button group, they'll be like, you know, ha have a primary color and a secondary color, but like that's part of your component. So you can take out that usage guideline or, or that spec. Yeah. Um, but it, it is like 85% of the way there. So I, I think that's good. I guess like, you know, and, and I think like where AI could be really cool is like coming up with patterns. So like a lot of my talk is like thinking about design system patterns, not necessarily your, your components and patterns are harder for us as humans to kind of identify in terms of like designing uh, across UIs. Because I think a lot of times like we'll say like this, this one workflow for this one app about like a shopping cart is very specific to this one app, but you might have another shopping cart experience and, and workflow. And you're like, oh no, this is different because it's a it's these different things. So it's kind of hard to to suss out like what what makes a good pattern, like a global pattern that can be used across your products. So maybe AI can help with that. Um, yeah. Like take some of that that heavy lifting of like, oh I've noticed you've done this. Like what happens if you like unify some of this or take out some of this or what have you or um, I think that's where so, AI could be cool. I, yeah, I think this is a really interesting area that um, I was actually looking to see if any there are any tools out there that do this. So the concept of like predictive design analysis or predictive product analysis, which is, I mean, it's it's a part of what you're talking about there, right? So it's like if if it's generated a pattern or you've generated or you've made a pattern and you want it to tell you how to do it better. 
based off of the knowledge it has because you know it's the whole concept of llms is they've got access to a lot of knowledge and they should be able to make those patterns and i was thinking you know what like that'd be really cool if somebody built it and of course somebody has built it like there are things out there that exist so i was looking at um pendo which i i've heard of but never used before which is like a suite of product tools and they've got some interesting promises with their ai sort of suggestions and i think that one of the ones that was an interesting one which is kind of it's actually almost a step before patterns is improving your flows that you create knowing the steps that people take to do things it can like suggest efficiencies and i think that this is actually like which is not far from you know analyzing a pattern or like a wire that explains a pattern to basically use the knowledge it has to improve that. And I'm sure that, yeah, if you feed in the right text to even into chat GPT, you can probably do this already too, right? I think part of the problem for me though, is the fact that we just don't know where the data is uh, at the moment, at least we don't know where a lot of this data comes from. Like GPT are pretty opaque, like open AI are pretty opaque with uh, where it comes from. And the fact that they only recently like provided the details of how you can opt out of this stuff. And I think that the powerful models for the kind of work that we do day to day, especially when we're dealing like with when we're dealing like with the work that we do within companies is the ones that allow you to train it off your own data or like very specified sets of data. And I don't know the, the stuff that um, Kevin Coyle was talking about at Converge this year uh, with what they're doing over at Big Medium um where they're basically training on a lot of the data that they have from the design systems they've worked on to query and they're using it almost like as an internal knowledge base to query stuff which i think is a really cool use case like that idea of just going oh yeah how do we do this again and just being able to like you know use a little chatbot form to to um query the existing knowledge that you have I don't know. I think that's one where it's like that that's powerful. Like writing documentation. Cool. That is like next level. Cause it's second brain stuff, which is actually like super valuable. I think, especially once like the bigger the organization you get. Yeah. I'm going off on a ramble now. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> if you think about like how, like, especially with a big organization or just like complicated UI designs and like all the, yeah. the thinking and the thought process that you went through to, right or come to those decisions like that can if you weren't in the room or if you didn't document it like you're not going to know but if there's a way to reference that because i think that's the other thing is like um i will i will name drop again in this episode uh in in the webinar that dan mall and i did a couple months ago we talked about how picking um, that up again right? yes <laughs> um we we talked about how patterns are like if you use it, your documentation to kind of do a little journaling on how you came to decisions around patterns, that's probably better and more useful to those who are looking for patterns for the similar approaches. So um, say, you know, you're creating like a step-by-step -step wizard for people to set something up and you have done, you know, you've, you've done the due diligence of making those design decisions um, and you're just like, if you post it on your design system documentation, like this is the pattern you have to use, it might be hard for um, others to kind of fit that into their 
their product without knowing the context of why you made those decisions or how flexible things can be. Yeah, so rather than like dictating, just kind of telling that story so they can figure out, um, you know, where, like how they can make the decisions to use the pattern that best suits their needs. So um, I think that, yeah, documenting and then having like AI to be like, hey, remember this or we're, we're choosing not to do this because of X, Y, and Z. It's just, it will make life easier because I think we do have to remember a lot these days. But this is, so this is actually one of the things that I'm really excited about as well. And I think that like, that's always going to have value, especially if you have the, if you can put the time aside to journal down decision trees, why not? However, sometimes a lot of that can be like, you don't need, you don't necessarily need to be that explicit if you have the right information present. So I know that like one of the things I don't know. It's one of the things that was always seen as like a gold standard is to have all the UX research associated with a particular, you know, component in the documentation. So it's sort of excessive. I, I, I will be frank with you and say that that is a very rare thing to see in anybody's design system documentation these days. Like people just don't have the time to do it because usually a large part of it is that their UX research sits in one place and their documentation sits in another and they're two separate teams. And so they like, and it's like, there'll be a bit of a duplication of effort. And so it's one of those things where best intentions are great, but the reality is usually folks have, it's very low on their priority list to like make things as good as possible. This is where like, I think AI can be really powerful. And it's something that we've used a lot um, internally in different ways, actually not necessarily design systems, but it's, we use it a lot with the advocates where we get open AI to it's repurposing content, right? If you have, if you collect all your UX research in say Airtable and that's tagged correctly, hook that up to Zapier, run that through open AI, get that piped directly into a webhook or something to pump into your documentation. I think it's like one of those things, or at least, you know, export it into like a Slack message that you can then easily copy and paste uh, whenever anything is, you know, related to, a component or whatever. I think there's some really interesting ways that we can like automate the delivery of information across stuff whilst our systems don't automatically do it for us. Cause that's the other thing is I think that this is going to be, this is going to be standard in a lot of tools soon where you can just like connect up all your stuff. I noticed like Grammarly have started doing this right where they've, they've got beta tests now where they're automatically connecting up to a lot of tools so that it's, 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 has context of what you're doing in other tools that it can then like help you with. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, yeah, journaling is always good, but Hey, if we can remove the hum the need, the time that is required. Well, yeah. That, I mean, and that's, that's the thing like you can, and journaling can be like recording the meeting and then having the transcript yeah. generated through AI and then highlights pulled out and documented or fed through a database. And then, there was like this, like, I forgot what it was like, um, a research method of like using Airtable and taking like little snippets of, of uh, findings into a database. Yeah. Um, something about chicken nuggets. Um, I can't remember the method, but maybe someone remembers and uh, we'll add that in the show notes. But like, yeah, it's just, if we can just get all the data that's like specific to like our orgs and, and just get it like processed through AI, where it gets us to like 85% of the answers we need. I think that's a huge win mm -hmm. rather than having to parse through everything, remember everything. I think it's just a matter of getting that data in and us and people feeling good about it too, right? Like they want a closed system. People don't want to 
put all their information out into the ether for AI to to process. So yeah, which uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm in two minds about it's it's uh, this is where we get into the ethical and moral quandaries of AI. <laughs> I think that everybody should have a right to opt out. I don't necessarily think like it's not like it's going to recreate your stuff verbatim although that has happened um so um but i don't know i think that sometimes people are maybe a little bit precious but hey that's just my opinion and i shouldn't shouldn't delve too much into opinions i just want to say actually one other cool use case before we jump into the questions because they're starting to come through which is great there was one other use case that i was like oh actually it's not one that we've we've done it's actually again something that we have done but for different purposes i know one of the things that people often don't get time to do is like community content or documentation around like communicating about your system and explaining things to do with your system where to find things or whatever basically it's kind of like creating product documentation and help guides um and it was one of those things where i'm like why aren't we using tools like scribe to help us in the creation of like design system documentation specific guides um because the whole concept with that is you just basically do a quick like loom video and it documents all the steps out for you straight away so when you're doing um you know when you're explaining a new version or a new feature of your design system like do this and then have it the content be accessible in like multiple ways i don't know it's just one of those things where i'm like it's again it's just using ai so that you can cover as many bases as possible and be efficient as possible with your time which i think is like i don't know pretty pretty exciting concept but you're right we do need to get to the questions uh, so, so i don't know if you have a suggestion for this there's a great question from angelina here around whether there are any good tool suggestions for helping automate token naming have I... you played with this yet no, but I, I want to. So that's like on my to-do list once I got back from all the conferences and all the other things. But I am looking at that because I think that's a lot of what teams struggle with. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I figured. But to, in order to kind of create that tool, it's like you have to really get like a good solid foundation on like design tokens and yeah, like taxonomy yeah. and all this other stuff. So it's like, yeah, it would be really great, but like it just takes a little bit of time. But maybe hopefully soon. I'm thinking winter. winter it's creating. <laughs> yeah, it's creating a naming framework, right? And I think that's like which I know that you're you are currently working on. Um, but uh, there are. I mean, if you Google out their token naming framework, and I know that this is something that people do, is you can basically if you get the top level rules to your token naming framework, chuck it in ChatGPT and the output is surprisingly good i know there's also a bunch of figma plugins out there so if anybody has any suggestions please chuck them in the chat for any that you've used uh it's just that i haven't haven't used this and yeah uh, rob robert's right is in the chat talking saying that sill was talking about this so sill has used chat gpt to create this uh and of course the first thing i did when i got off the uh webinar was go and have another play with it because i know the last time i did it it was it was rubbish uh, and this time giving it more structure and more context uh helped so yeah. I'll, I'll pull together um the prompt that i was creating because of course i did you know i think that's the thing is like to, um, and you brought this up that. in the so i think you did you brought this up in the webinar yesterday which is like prompt like crafting your prompt is like a whole different skill set yeah. that like 
is something mm. that, you know, you can kind of like craft and hone in on to get those answers. So, um, yeah, I think it's like if if you're not getting the right answers or the answers that you're kind of expecting, like just try tweaking your prompt until you get it. But also like kind of keep a, an eye an eye on like what you've said to make those um, to get get ChatGPT to, to respond a little bit closer. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So Lindsay also has asked if you could share an example of the um, journaling and where that's been documented within design systems. Yeah, I don't have a, a physical example, but I can like, so the way it would work is like if you were creating like a dashboard, um, as you're designing the dashboard, you're making design decisions and just kind of logging that as you go of like, oh, you know, we wanted to make it only four columns wide because of this reason. Um, and just like, you know, just kind of taking notes of some of the decisions that you're making, even the ones of like, oh, we decided to not go with four columns or what have you. And just kind of getting the flow. It's a little messy, but and a little it could get a little long, but at least people who might need to use a dashboard pattern in the future can kind of get to where your thought process was. Um, but that's kind of like where uh, AI would come in handy, where it kind of parse through and just say like, hey, if you're making a dashboard, consider these things and kind of keep you in check. Kind of how someone was mentioning, Roland was mentioning earlier about how they use AI to kind of make sure they're not missing any requirements or anything, which is great. Cause yeah. I think the thing is like, you know, there's a lot of times where we, you, you know, even though we do know what we're doing, we can forget things and it's always a good gut check. Um, I think the thing is like, you also have to know enough to know whether chat GPT is um, being like honest or accurate. Cause sometimes they can have these AI hallucinations where they're just kind of like making up answers. Um, but as long as you know, like that's not, um, what's what's real and what's not real it's a good way to gut check your work yeah definitely definitely I, by the way i love the fact that we call them hallucinations when in fact it's just lying but um anyway <laughs> i do think that and and basically like a lot of what you're talking about it's decision logging right like that's the other the other way to to frame it so i know that there's a lot of ways that you can do that and if you do a quick google search on decision logs you can see some of the different techniques but basically just think about just think about including it as like a change log at the bottom of, you know, key components or anything where there have been key decisions made uh, in your documentation. I don't think you need separate tools to, to do it or anything, right? No, I, I would say like stay in the tools that you have. No, no need to add another tool to your arsenal and then <laughs> keep it simple. I think some of those decision, decision tree things get into like tables and all this stuff, but like anything that becomes cumbersome to use, people aren't going to use it. So and just yeah, try it once, yeah. see how it goes, how how well it resonates with your team. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's that is one of the things that I have noticed, especially when it comes to AI, is that people are like there there are a breed of folks who are a little bit closed off to the concept of using it, um, and I think it's a shame because I think that there are some really great, um, really great potential. Oh, there is a very good question. We've only got two minutes left, so let's see if we can do it. And apologies, we'll try and answer all the other questions in Slack. If you want to come in there, how concerned are you that dependency on AI could potentially stifle creativity and innovation in design processes? Do you have opinions? Because I do. I'm, I'm not that concerned. I think, I think there is going to be some people, um, especially like I think kids today, right? Like they're going to like grow up with AI and then be so maybe become really dependent on AI. But I think at the same time, like that's only going to get them so far in life. Like they're still going to, 
yeah. have to have critical thinking skills. And, and I think, I mean, I could totally be wrong. Cause like maybe in, in two months, like AI develops critical thinking and, and we are all screwed. <laughs> but the idea <laughs> is that we would still need humans to do like that innovation and that, that uh, yes. critical thinking where AI is just like a, a tool to get us there faster almost. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is the one, like one of the big things that we have shown is that like creatively speaking, generative AI is pretty rubbish. Like it's not, it's, it's very hard to get good generative AI output without good creative input. So it's like, it's the whole, the output is only as good as the input. Um, and I think that um, that's what we're going to, I was talking about this yesterday where I feel like a lot of people are going to be pushed into a bell curve in terms of into the middle. And I think that there's a lot of copy and paste folks who are just going to be very average and everything they output because they're using AI is going to be very generic. Whereas it's going to like push the outliers further up and that, that like creativity and that ability to, to critically think is going to become even more of a commodity and very uh, important. I think that the, and and this is, I think this can be seen like to, to have a proper example, like the amount that you need to prompt engineer to get good output out of something like ChatGPT um, shows that you still need to have the ideas. You still need to be able to, to, to push stuff in there. And similar, if you're using like uh, video or audio, um, an audio image uh, generative AI, like Midjourney or whatnot, as as having as somebody who's been playing with this a lot, it takes to get good output consistently takes about as much time as it does to create the thing. So I think that all this is doing, so it's like I don't think that we need to be worried about like Pete this putting folks out of jobs. What it's doing is it's democratizing a lot. It's making it more accessible to more people, as long as the actual tools themselves are accessible. Um yeah. and you know not. <laughs> ridiculously expensive which at the moment like that that they're, they're yeah they're, we should have more free tools basically um but or more access to tools um but i do think that we are de democratizing access to things like design and video audio text like creative text uh code all of these things are basically it's making the barrier to entry a little bit lower which i think is always a good thing um and you know as long as we move towards that ideal of you know then how much folks get paid for those jobs and whatnot doesn't go down. Um, as long as we form a union, um, I'm not allowed to get onto that again. Um, I think we should be fine. Um, we're already two minutes over, so I think we should probably nip yeah, it in the bud there um, and keep the conversation going on the Zeros Slack community. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. That's it for today. If you have any questions or want to fire, uh, want to fire to us or get us fired. Um, for the next episode, please send job. them through. <laughs> send them through either via the Zero Slack community, which you can reach at zerohight.com/slack, uh, on X at zerohight, or you can email us at community at zerohight.com. Until then, see you next time. Thanks, thanks everyone. <laughs>